Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in this week. We are celebrating the United States Independence Day earlier this week. So maybe you got the day off. Maybe your wine or grapes were forcing you to work. Either way, <laughs> we thought uh, to, this week we could be should be proud Americans and discuss how American wine came onto the international wine scene. Or rather, really, uh, how California wine came onto the international wine scene. But very quickly, other states coming in on their coattails. That would be the Judgment of Paris. And if you're going to start Googling that, you definitely want to add wine at the end. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. The reason you want to, which I did that too, and started first reading about another judgment of Paris. So Haley, um, you studied in Greece. Do you want to talk about quickly that name? <laughs> yes. Uh, when, if you just Google judgment of Paris, it's going to refer to the Trojan prince Paris. If you add wine to it, the Paris is going to be the location of where the judgment took place. In the Grecian um, story, Paris was tasked with deciding who the most beautiful woman in the world was. He chose Helen of Tro- uh, sorry Helen of Sparta. She became what? Helen Not of Haley? Troy. <laughs> uh, they fell in love. There was a golden apple or maybe a golden pomegranate involved, depending on the historian that you talk to. And then that whole Trojan War horse, you Ooh, probably yes. know the story. Uh, Only from Monty Python, just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I think I actually read in uh, one of your notes, Ash, that a journalist, I think you said it was the um, George Tabor from Time magazine. When he was writing about it, he called it the Judgment of Paris because he was alluding to the fact that it's going to rock the world just like the Trojan War rocked Western civilization and then histories and stories thereafter. So now that we've got a little bit about the name, I want to get your perspective as a non-wine person who's looked a little bit into this, like the 10,000-foot view of why why this was a big deal, why, why um, we're talking about it as this Judgment of Paris, this big thing. Yeah, so from my perspective, I mean, that it's pretty simple, but uh, as I was reading it, I just saw that, you know, historically, it's like France and we'll just say Italian and Spanish, like basically France was like ruling and like, we'll just say the queen of, of the <laughs> wine world. And then it was like, all of a sudden, this little peasant came in. I'm just making up this story as I go. But this little <laughs> peasant of California was like introduced and it just like, just kind of shattered that glass ceiling of sorts of like, everyone was, you know, look to European wines, look to France as like, you know, the gold standard. And then all of a sudden this like nobody came in and said, hey, look at what we're doing over here. And it just, because there was a, we'll get into it more, a blind tasting and California's wine was as good (laughs) or maybe better. Yeah. Depending on how you look at it as the French wine, it just ended up, I think breaking down 
I'm just freestyling here, but <laughs> basically saying like, okay, here's France. Here's what, you know, in the seventies, this is what we're all saying is the best and whatever. And then it, it broke it down. So then all of a sudden everybody else in the world had a fighting chance. And I think that that's like ultimately because of that. And then, you know, it helped boost the whole economy of wine for California. And then I would venture to guess like a lot of other places that didn't historically be known for like their good wine were able to start playing, you know, the game. Totally. I think there's a nice, another nice little illusion there. So the judgment of Paris took for wine took place in Paris, but also the illusion uh, back to the story where Helen of, of Sparta, this mortal woman, outbeat two goddesses, Aphrodite and Athena, I think. Um, and so there's this, you know, new kid on the block, this mortal <laughs> being of California. And then, uh, especially in the movie where it's definitely made to look like these just guys who kind of do this thing that make this mm-hmm. wine. It's not um, <laughs> this huge tradition or um, longstanding history. And by the movie, do you mean like the bottle, bottle shock? shock? Yeah. Movie. Okay. I don't know. Maybe you're talking about Monty Python, Search for the Holy Grail. Uh, <laughs> a Trojan horse there, a.k.a. cows. That P.S., that's my favorite movie, so anytime to, I can reference it is a good one. But, um, yeah, no, we're talking about Bottle Shock, um, which uh, came out in the early 2000s, I believe. So um, if you haven't seen that, it's a good, you know, Hollywood rendition of the whole situation. Definitely. Um, so... Haley, I, okay, so I think, did we provide the listeners with a good enough, like, history of what the Judgment of Paris was? We, we know the Greek one. Did we provide yeah. them enough of the, like, I think <laughs> it's basically a competition that yes. then the U.S. said, you know, was able to, you know, their wines ended up winning, so. Correct. Um, and I think the nice thing to note here would be where you could have an entire series on just this one judgment of Paris and why it worked, why it didn't work, all the problems, all of the great things, the things that were written about it, the different wines. We're not going to do that. We're going to talk a little bit about the the overall picture and then also the um, why it was important. So if you have other questions about it, definitely let us know. But we're not going to get into super duper details here today. Mainly because this gets overwhelming for my brain. There, and very quickly. <laughs> for Yeah. <laughs> Even for someone that's in wine, I was like, wait, I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to jump to like competitions like this. Why are they important um, and in the wine industry? And both for, like, the small things as well as just, like, large things in whole. Like I said, this one was good for the overall industry in America. But if you want to talk about both those perspectives. Definitely. We in the wine industry, uh, there's a lot of opportunities to have your wines tasted, critiqued, rated, things like that. So the Judgment of Paris... um, was a friendly tasting. Uh, it wasn't necessarily 
a competition. Now we have lots of wine competitions that, um, you know, some boast thousands of entries are, are considered like, hey, if you send in your rosé here and it wins, then every every restaurant that sells rosé in the country is going to want you on their list. Um, so that is not the style of competition that the Judgment of Paris was. It was very small. I think what they were doing was, uh, and this is the case all the time, is as long as a wine is not flawed, it's going to have a relatively good score or ranking. Um, but if um, the more a person likes a wine or feels like it's a balanced wine or well-made, they will rank it higher. And there's different, uh, when somebody tastes a wine and ranks it, it's not just, a, does this wine smell and taste nice? There's, you know, you, you give it a score out of a certain amount. And I know there's a lot about a lot written about that for the Judgment of Paris. We're not going to get into the exact scores because there's also some controversy over that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically if your wine, if you're, say you're tasting Rieslings, if your wine tastes like a Riesling and it's not flawed, it's probably going to get a pretty good ranking. So with that in mind, um, I think we should talk a little bit about what they were judging specifically at the Judgment of Paris. Well, can before we do that, I, I realize we forgot to kind of say this. Um, <clears throat> the Judgment of Paris happened on May 24th, 1976. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we didn't say that. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I think my ADHD is acting up today. Anyways, um, and uh, Stephen Spurrier. Spurrier. Um, he was an Englishman running a wine shop in Paris, like men- like Haley mentioned, this happened in Paris. Um, and so he, I believe, if he had gone on a previous trip to California and was like, am I wrong about this? Yeah. And then he, <laughs> he had gone on a previous trip. He had like tasted a bunch of California wines. He brought them back and it was kind of a little faux pas. Of, like he was like, oh yeah, here's this Englishman in Paris and like, you know, he was, like, wanting to bring these California wines into his shop and, like, promote them because he was really impressed. And then um, he basically organized this tasting of some of these California Cabernets and Chardonnays as part of the American Bicentennial, because that's, you know, 1976, 1776. Um, oh, I didn't know that part. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so he wanted to do that. And then, um, you know, that he brought in these people together to do the tasting. So. You touched on this a little bit. So they were tasting both whites and reds, but a very small amount. Well, for what anybody in the wine industry now who knows about tastings and competitions you usually think of them like I was just saying, like, hey, we're doing the East Coast Rosé tasting competition. And if you send us your wine, you know, we're going to have 4,000 entries. And <laughs> um, it's <clears throat> not like that at all. So there were, um, I am i don't think I wrote it down, but I want to say around 15 wines, 15, is that, I, we could pull it up. Whites and reds. So the whites from California were Chardonnay. The reds from California were Cabernet Sauvignon. And the France 
the um, France entries were whites from Burgundy and reds from Bordeaux. So probably Chardonnays from Burgundy and uh, blends, but primarily Cab Sauv from Bordeaux, I believe. Take it away to give us a short answer of who won. I mean, it was a mix, but yeah. uh, I think it was the fact that there were some California wines that won. And so, which caused some of the judges to want to revoke their vote and wait a second, maybe I did something wrong once it was revealed. Um, and yeah, uh, I don't have the list. Let me. Oh, yeah. So the white, the winner for the white. Uh, was a California wine from Chateau Montalena. I believe they're still in existence. And the winner in the red category was Stag's Leap Wine Cellars Cabernet Sauvignon from California. That was the short answer. But then, like you mentioned, like that's where the controversy started. So everybody was like, I want, I want to see my scorecard. I want to see everyone's scorecards. I want to see how people scored the wines. I want to know which wine was what. Um, and Stephen Spurrier, I think, was the one that made the point of, okay, this is a little bit, um, uh, how did he put it? It's not scientific. It's a little bit, uh, <laughs> it, could, it could change. Mm-hmm. Like, we could do the same exact judging the next day, and the judges would score the wines differently. Yeah. For me, I mean, in general, I was just really excited to see some of these you know, vineyards that I've actually been to. So like, um, and I just, you know, seeing them score, like looking at the whites and how it's like the top five, three of them were U.S., you know, the top one, U.S., then France, then U.S., U.S. Like, um, and Spring Mountain Vineyard, I've been there um, in in Napa. They were all Napa Valley, I believe. Um, and then, and both for, Chateau Montalena and Stag Leap, Stag's Leap Wine Cellars, which is not the same as Stag's Leap Winery, um, are, but they're both still in existence, I believe, still making wine. I don't know if they ha- they're under the same ownership, um, but just kind of a cool like you look at the tradition of France and how how different things were between California and France, but then also over multi-generations between the 70s and now, uh, they're still in existence, which is really neat. Kind of similar to what we talked about with like the Oregon and Idaho wine during those wine month conversations of just, especially back then, you know, Californians were just doing all these crazy new things and like just pushing the envelope. And so it's kind of like these crazy we'll say hippie, like Californians <laughs> trying all their crazy new ideas are coming on and France and its tradition was like, right. no, what are you doing? So that I think was another big element to this was just like, one, they produce these good wines in the judgment, but then to just like that other thing of like the crazy sister of Yes. You know, whatever. Like, we're doing the same thing, but we're doing it differently. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then it's like, what? What? How how did you do that? Um, Right. So, yeah. I was, like I said, happy to see, too, like, Ridge coming in. I Uh love I know I probably shouldn't be promoting things, but I really like Ridge Vineyard. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been there. Gorgeous place if you want to go. Yeah, Um, gorgeous wines, too. 
gorgeous wines and they place fifth, but you know, still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that we should talk a little bit about the controversy that we're, we've touched on. So basically the judges were like, this is not, all the, the wines weren't flawed. They're good wines. Were, all of them were surprised. I shouldn't say all of them. It seems like reading the history that many of the judges were surprised that they ranked the Californian wines um, as well as they did. And a couple mm-hmm. of the French wines, not as well as they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is, going back to Stephen Spurrier's point, just to say quickly, your bodies act as amazing buffers every day. So mm-hmm. if you have too much salt today, tomorrow, your body is going to be doing different things than if you didn't have too much salt. So again, if you were to taste, you might score things slightly differently. But mm-hmm. again, that being said, if you're a professional taster, you should be in tune enough with your own body and your tasting that uh, you should, like, it shouldn't be a huge difference. It's not like I liked this wine today and I didn't like it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> or I didn't like it yesterday. I guess I should put that in the past tense. Um, so whether you're, you're a professional taster of wine or fries, you should know your own palate well enough that you should score something within probably a certain statistical range. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I, I'm, I did not take statistics. I wish I would have. That's fascinating to me. So kind of knowing a little bit about that, um, I wanted to also say to our listeners, I looked through some of the scorecards. I'm a little confused at how the scoring was done, but um, that's part of the controversy that if you Google it and you dig into it, you'll start seeing people are like, no, see, this wine was supposed to win, not that wine. And so I don't really know, yeah. <laughs> but um, we're not going to get into that. Again, I didn't take statistics. But what I wanted to ask after talking a little bit about that is, do you think, Ashley, that the Judgment of Paris launched Californian and possibly other U.S. wine regions into the rest of the world? Yes, I already kind of said that. <laughs> I'm going to read it. I know I did it. No, I was like, oh, it's okay. I did that. Um, yeah, no, I think it did. And I think that that, like, controversy aside with the actual scoring, I think to me, as you were talking about that, I was just thinking, this is really more about, like, just the overall, like, Californians are doing something cool. Let's pay yeah. attention. And totally. so, like, it's you know, down to those points and whatever. Like, to me, the biggest picture there is, like, here on our bicentennial, we are coming in again and saying, hey, we're here, we're doing cool stuff, pay attention. Yes, so. Thomas Jefferson would have been proud of our our American wines. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, anyways, um, so I think that that was, to me, the coolest thing of just, yes launching it and like I said I think even like launching it for I think of like Australia or Mm -hmm. you know Argentinian wines it just like opened that door so that other people could come in and it wasn't just like France it just doesn't have to be from the continent it can be Mm -hmm. from somewhere else (laughs) which P.S. isn't there a whole thing and I am totally referencing my outlander right now isn't there a whole thing (laughs) with how France kind of helped with U.S. independence and some other things maybe I'm just thinking of Scottish so isn't that just also kind of funny anyways just throwing that one out there (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that the judgment of Paris for wine definitely helped launch the American wines. Um, obviously, at this point, in, in the 70s, I should say, not at this point, but at the point of the judgment of Paris, it was going to be Californian wines. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I think that if the results had been opposite, mm-hmm. I think that um, it would have been just as triumphant because yeah. all the Californians would have been like, but look, we we like, we didn't win, but look, we're still up. The, like, it's not like mm. our wines were thrown yeah. out. They couldn't even drink them. They were yeah. up there with the French wines. And I think yeah. if that had happened, maybe uh, part of the other controversy that happened was they, they had invited journalists to mm-hmm. partake and none of them except for... I think only George Tabor from Time Magazine wrote about Mm -hmm. it. And it wasn't until after his, because Time was so big in the 70s, it wasn't Mm -hmm. until after his um, article launched that other outlets started to pick it up and run it as a story. And even then, like the French and Italians, did, they were like, oh, let's not talk about this that much because it's not good for us. But I think that if they would have just run with it and talked about it, even in a hey, good job, and not made it such a big deal. It could have been just a, this is great that there's other wines being made, not in Mm -hmm. France, that are just as good. Congratulations. No, it made the controversy and the whole thing even more exciting. Because it's kind of like, well, why are you hiding this? Yes, I think Uh, so. Yeah. I think so, for sure. Anyways, I like that you brought up fries, Haley. Such an Idaho. (laughs) I don't like, sometimes I don't like to just talk about wine. <laughs> it's good to bring up other things, especially if we have people that aren't wine people listening to the podcast and they have another point of reference. Coffee, coffee yeah. tasters are pretty serious. So that would have been mm-hmm. another good one. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know for why people, I mean, I just have tater tot bags, but that's all. Um, anyways, okay, so sorry that, where are we now? Where should we, what should we talk about now? Um, Is there anything that we need to talk about to make sure everybody understands the the gravity of the judgment of Paris for wine? I don't think so. Like, we talked a little bit beforehand, and I was like, like, I was saying, I think this one's going to be a short one. Like, it's pretty, like, straightforward, but it's just, you know, again. We could go way into the numbers, but... I got confused, so I don't, I think that listening to numbers is confusing. Yeah. yeah, go ahead and go and look up the scorecards because it is interesting to look at. And then for me, I was like, wait, I'm confused at why the everybody scored the French, certain French wines higher than the U.S. wines, but the U.S. wines won. I don't know. I was confused. But um, we'll have all this in our show notes uh, yeah. with a couple of good things of like, I think, uh, honestly, the Wikipedia page to me yes. has the easiest layout of just yeah. like reading all of the, the different ones. But yes. um, we have a couple other uh, links that just kind of talk about it. And um, I think, you know, what would be honestly kind of interesting and I didn't find because I didn't really dig around. But I wonder if we could find that original article, Times article. Yeah. Um, it might be Probably. behind a paywall, but um, by uh, George uh, Tabor. So yeah. that would be kind of interesting to read that original article. Um, so if we find that, we'll definitely post that as well in the show notes. So anything else? Nope. Take it okay. away. 
Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. And I hope you guys have a happy Independence Day um, here in the United States. Um, and we will be back soon to talk more about lots of fun topics. So if you have anything that you want to hear us chat about, please write us in. And we look forward to hearing from you next time. Bye. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.